Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty's Social Impact Pioneers podcast series. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. These interviews with social impact pioneers provide you with insights, different perspectives, advice, and maybe a little inspiration, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are tackling some of the world's biggest social challenges so that you can learn from those who have been there before, helping you in your decision-making and action-taking. My guest today has accolades ranging from the Sustainability Leader of the Year to Asia's top sustainability superwoman. She's been featured in the list of India's top 100 women in finance and is on a mission to accelerate sustainable finance and a just climate transition. She is Namita Vikas. With 30 years of experience in organisations ranging from the Yes Bank to the Microsoft Corporation, Nimita is now the founder and managing director of Orctus ESG and an advisory board member for the Climate Bonds Initiative in the UK. Get ready for a 101 in sustainable finance. The tools financial experts are using to accelerate the money needed to fund commercially viable social and environmental impacts. Namita will be explaining the impact finance terminology from blended finance to green retail loans. It's all in here. She will take us on her journey of what challenges remain for sustainable finance, what's holding it back from reaching its potential. And if you're looking for a career opportunity or to tackle a meaty problem, listen in, there'll be a plenty. So without further ado, Namita, welcome. Thanks a lot for having me over. I wanted to start our conversation could you share a bit with us about your journey and what has really brought you into the space of working on finance structures to deliver societal good? Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Katie, for that question. And in the, you know, by mid-20s, I had started to work with social enterprises. And at that point, I started to realize the kind of capital deficit that these social enterprises were facing, even on the back of very sound and impactful business models. So to resolve this, I connected up with bankers, understood the risk evaluation methodologies, how DFIs look at the whole environment and social space. And then, you know, in my banking career, I came on the other side of the table and it was all about mainstreaming sustainability and ESG and working within the financial institution with multiple colleagues and bodies like UNFFI uh, to you know, build the whole business case for ESG-related risks and opportunities, understanding the two sides of the coin, bringing in holistic perspectives, and then finance sustainability objectives, which were you know interlinked in in many ways. So you know, uh, because because as we know, negative changes in environment and society can pose or are posing to be bus- uh, risks to businesses and financial performances. Well, similarly, changes in ecosystem and societies do lead to policy, technology, market shifts that unlock new opportunities. So these interlinkages and thereon my work started to focus and emphasize on the need and the significance of bringing solutions on climate change. So climate action, prioritizing these value creation and then, you know, 
the organization was really focused so good thrust on bringing many of india's firsts uh, working with uh, the large private sector bank uh, we we launched a huge number multiple impactful projects and today my own firm octa csg which, which i started in 2020 stands at the intersection of sustainability finance and investments working on overall accelerating the global sustainable finance and climate transition so we are in the second year of our existence and we have done some fantastic marquee projects uh, with uh, governments uh, uh, like uh, like uh, the government of zimbabwe uk very very interesting models very impactful models which we you know have brought to the market so that's really been my journey thank you what a journey that you have been on i wanted to delve now into the finance piece particularly to tackle social and environmental challenges we hear a lot about climate change requires xxx millions or billions or trillions of dollars to solve it i want to ask you now given that experience that you have why is finance so important and how can it really be harnessed to make a difference like could you share a little bit in terms of you know what is it about the finance that will really make a difference yes finance is important because i mean finance is the is the fuel for economic growth right i mean at at one level we need finance for everything and similarly we need even finance for climate action so that's that's the simple answer and i'm glad that more and more financial institutions are looking to deploy capital uh, towards projects that not only deliver on a roi or return on investment but also uh, deliver on some some predecided environmental or social impact so i think it's very important that we look at mainstreaming and i always have been saying this that environment and social impact positive impact cannot be looked at differently from mainstream capital provision so you know if you look at this whole topic of sustainable finance and we've been uh, we've, we've been talking about we've been seeing as to the kind of capital that is required almost you know um uh, 5 to 7 trillion dollars annually to be able to meet the requirements that are there worldwide i think it is very important to understand the various terminologies associated with what is this whole um uh, you know elephant in the room called sustainable finance and the types that exist under the larger nomenclature so you know sustainable finance is finance that is deployed to achieve environmental and social impact alongside the industry accepted financial returns so this is not social capital which is sometimes given out as grants or at subsidized in interest rates or not returnable kind of capital but this is mainstream traditional commercial finance the european union for example defines it as a process of taking due account of esg considerations during decision making in the finance sector leading to an increased longer term investments into sustainable economic activities so that's really sustainable finance now sustainable finance you can break that down 
there are multiple categories green finance social finance transition finance other categories climate finance which sits under green finance uh, so on and so so it's very important to understand that each category has maybe a different covenant of intervention but the ultimate goal is the same i mean climate finance comes with you know looking at climate mitigation resilience building activities and with a degree of concessionality at the same time green finance again specifically finances environmentally sustainable projects so so you know one must it, it's very important to understand these aspects and then you know newer type of you know we are we are we are hearing so much about decarbonization so transition finance has you know made news these days and it is a type of sustainable finance where it supports high carbon companies to decarbonize so that that's really you know targeted hard to abate sectors uh, you know but i think what is important under this is the kind of innovation that is happening uh, when it comes to uh, you know financial products under these categories and i think that's very new that is something that i have seen maybe uh, in the last 3 to 5 years so you know we may you may have heard about green social sustainable bonds so we had heard about green bonds a lot of talk about green bonds how they are took the market they're slated to reach 1.5 trillion dollars by the end of uh, 2022 and now there are sustainable bonds now there are uh, you know social bonds which are also in the similar category then there are you know other innovations around green retail loans so these are you know introduced by global banks which form a, a part of financing where the borrower uh, is enabled to fund projects which are environmental which have environmental impact like e mobility or green buildings or or you know loans that are given out green car loans that are given out with a uh, interest lower interest rate because these are uh, being ploughed towards certain green sectors like say electric uh, vehicles sustainability linked bonds outcome based financing which are very similar to um, social impact bonds where the outcome funder here pays out the interest cost upon achieving and verification of a predetermined uh, outcome and i think one which i have worked extensively almost over a decade is blended finance structures so these are again mechanisms that are picking up globally and these are aimed at sectors or beneficiaries who struggle to otherwise access uh, mainstream finance from the conventional system so you know credit enhancement instruments which reduce the perceived risk and catalyze multiples of private sector you know capital Uh, for say sdg aligned projects so these are uh, i think uh, very popular instruments where you can bring in uh, you know a, a good blend of public and private uh, finance that is that's very very helpful to my mind for the kind of need and requirement that we have and there's so much of sovereign green bonds or municipal bonds that are being announced so what i'm trying to say is blue bonds catastrophe bonds i mean there's it's a never ending kind of a, a story here i think you know what is most innovative is today we are seeing different kinds of financial structures which are able to respond to the need of the hour and banks and financial institutions are taking advantage uh, of this opportunity that is standing in front of them to look at how they can catalyze how they can 
how they can deploy capital to these areas at a coupon rate which is market based so it's not concessional coupon rate but it is a market based coupon rate and what's really happening is that you're seeing a trend here where many financial institutions are taking advantage of the fact that this whole new sector is emerging the way renewable energy about a decade and a half back was a new emerging sector i think we're seeing a tremendous newer trend today in all the other climate related sectors which is getting the attention of mainstream financiers who are then you know bringing structures in to be able to suit their risk return appetite at the same time respond to what is happening globally thank you 101 there everybody for listening to this i will i've been taking notes as well and i'll put them into the words that sit alongside the podcast so that you can hopefully follow some of that as we're going along uh, namita thank you very much for sharing that detail I want to dive a little bit into specifically the blended finance element. So I know that you've been working on supporting salt farmers in desert regions within India and using blended finance to to make that kind of come alive and, and deliver a social impact. Could you share a little bit about how blended finance specifically works and, and perhaps use that as an example? Absolutely, Katie. That's my that's one project that's extremely close to my heart and I'm very happy that you asked this question. So look, blended finance is a structuring approach that combines public or philanthropic or subsidized capital with private or commercial finance through mechanisms like, say, credit enhancement instruments, interest subventions, first loss guarantees, uh, providing longer tenors of the loans waivers on down payments, and technical assistance. One must understand from a banker's lens that risk is the key reason why private capital often prefers to stay away from some of the sectors that are perceived to be risky or those don't have a proven track record. And they need certain safeguards in like the blended instruments that help catalyze multiples of private sector capital, typically greater than a one plus one ratio. So such instruments provide comfort to commercial financial institutions to come forward to finance high-risk perceived projects and also scale up finance to sectors that have an investment gap. The whole aim of blended finance kind of instruments is to make credit affordable and accessible for the borrower. So that is the main objective or the purpose and when you look at technical assistance that's really aimed that's that's more like a facilitator to provide that support that is aimed at building the technical and the human capital of project proponents with an aim to make them bankable so blended finance is uh, typically used for projects as i said projects sectors or beneficiaries that would otherwise struggle to access capital under the conventional finance mechanism or are caught into this whole cycle of indebtedness, loan shocking, where they're borrowing at some humongous interest rates and therefore they're never able to repay the principal. If you look at the salt farmers, they are one of the most marginalized communities in the western part of uh, India, uh, which is a desert called the runoff Kutch. 
and uh, they are a major production center of salt globally so it is the it is one of the arid regions of india and they are large contributors to salt globally now these farmers they call farmers mainly women they work in very harsh climatic and economic conditions when i say harsh it's 52 degrees centigrade so we just had a heat wave in london and it was 38 degrees so you can imagine what 52 degrees would be right or in europe we had this heat wave at at those temperatures 52 degrees is really harsh and they live in very very harsh conditions they use the process of drawing the brine from the ground is through diesel pumps so they use diesel pumps to do to to pull out that brine and throw it across the salt pans now they require diesel they have to buy diesel every day or for a period of time to do this whole exercise this leads to significant emissions carbon emissions at one level apart from also they you i mean there are a lot of costs so input cost is very high because of high cost of diesel moreover uh, since these are mostly women they are also susceptible to health issues owing to the region's extreme heat water scarcity or uh, you know the way they use the diesel pumps they have to to kick start the pump they have to blow blow out some of the diesel so some goes into their lungs into their they consume it right so it's it's a, it's a very unhealthy process further these women are absolutely unbanked and from underserved markets so they have no access to credit so they have to borrow upwards of 36 to 100% rate of interest from local money lenders after hard laborious work of 7 months so this whole process starts in september and ends in april of every year after these 7 months of hard laborious work they are left with after they pay all the loans etc they are left with 350 dollars that's the income that's the income i mean can you imagine that's the kind of income on a india per capita of 2000 usd so what we did was in 2016 we put together a blended finance facility and the main objective was to make their operations sustainable give them access to capital and lower the carbon emissions so increase livelihoods was one of the one of the one of the criteria that we looked at so the first step was to move them from diesel to solar pumps and provide credit for them to buy these solar pumps so a finance facility was structured to include a grant which provided a credit enhancement so that grant provided a guarantee to the bank that was providing the loans for these women to buy the solar pumps then credit affordability was brought in through interest subventions so normally local cooperative banks in india lend at anywhere between 12 to 13% so we brought in an interest subvention of 8% so the women only had to pay 5% rate of interest and then we put together a kind of a fund to support these farmers to run the solar pumps through capacity building awareness by creating master trainers building toolkits support staff for efficient use of the solar pumps now this pilot project facilitated access to mainstream debt finance to over 600 women so that was the cohort that was there for transitioning from energy inefficient diesel pumps 
to eco-friendly solar pumps. The project resulted in annual savings of about 1,800 tons of CO2 equivalent from solar pumps. Higher savings were accrued from not using diesel. So reduction in diesel consumption was almost more than 40% and a significant saving considering that each farmer was spending almost about 1500 USD annually on diesel. So even after accounting for uh, the pay, the five-year repayments that were there, their income shot up from 350 USD to 857 USD in the first season itself. So that's a rise of 3x if you look at. So, you know, this intervention really helped them break that vicious cycle of increasing debt and income inadequacy through addressing financial inclusion, accessibility, affordability, availability of credit, as well as positively impacting their health. While for us, it was tackling climate change by significantly reducing the emissions that came out of those diesel pumps. I very strongly believe that such structures are replicable. And if mainstream would be able to boost access to affordable financial services while reducing the vulnerabilities of marginalized communities. They have a huge potential to unlock multiple benefits for vulnerable communities, not just in developing markets, but also in developed countries where climate shocks and income inequalities have created a growing segment of population that is increasingly becoming vulnerable. I'll stop here. Namita, thank you very much. And just really demonstrates how this as you talked about up front, the kind of interconnected nature of finance and social and, and business um, can really work together. And Namita, you've talked about lots of different financial mechanisms and products that can support making a social difference and bringing business together. What's really holding back sustainable finance from actually reaching its potential for tackling and solving climate change? Do you have a sense of that? Yeah, I think there are a combination of reasons. I think the few first few limiting factors that come to me from a perspective of, say, emerging or developing economies is, I think one is, or, or maybe in Europe, we have now come up with a classification system. But in most of the other markets, the lack of a classification system in form of a taxonomy, it means that there is no uniform definition of what is green or what is sustainable. So sustainable for emerging markets, clean coal could be sustainable. But in as far, as far as the EU taxonomy is concerned, there's nothing like coal which is sustainable, right? So I think what is green for one region may not necessarily be re- green for another region. And that may also, grant at a granular level, that could be at an institutional level. So these varied interpretation so it's left only to interpretation lead to issues around greenwashing which is also counterproductive and also pushes the sustainability agenda down that that's also somewhere because there is a lack of any kind of regulation around sustainable finance where businesses really you know they move their needles only based on regulations rather than market forces it is very push based kind of culture rather than a pull-based. So regulations, we need regulations to to somewhere push businesses and financial institutions to adopt sustainable finance practices. So 
taxonomy, definition, regulatory mechanisms, then also lack of understanding and awareness. I think, you know, this whole space, sustainable finance, falls within the purview of credit and risk officers or boards at the strategy level. But what we what we find is that uh, the overall understanding and awareness is not very high. That, that's one of the other limiting factors because there are no business schools in a very mainstream manner teaching about sustainable finance as yet. So that, that serves as a problem and we need more finance managers understand how to not just look at risk, but also the opportunity. Then the other challenge is lack of proven business models in sustainability-oriented sectors, like I mentioned earlier. Renewable energy is today very proven. It is, it is stabilized. The sector is stabilized. So, so banks know how to factor in the pricing, what kind of tenors, what kind of uh, you know, guarantees, what kind of collateral that's required. So all that is set, right? But lack of proven business models in some of the other sectors, like say water, wastewater, or solar batteries, all this is not as understood and priced in. And therefore, the, the fear of the unknown, if I may say, for more players to enter. So in conventional sectors where business models are time-tested, track records have been created, the risk is well understood, it forms a part of the loan pricing decision. So there is a formula. But in newer sectors, you know, wetlands, if, if uh, under adaptation finance, if uh, financial institutions have to, have to uh, finance wetland preservation, how do you go about it? So that, that whole, it's a black box, right? And another reason is that domestic capital markets in most economies, emerging economies, including India, are still not developed for green finance. And there's a lot of de dependence on foreign pool of green capital for fundraise. So when, when fundraise is happening from foreign pools of capital, there are currency hedging costs in the debt pricing. Uh, then issues like, you know, uh, restrictions on large issuers, large issuances, or, uh, you know, these kind of sectors, climate sectors, the whole universe is also MSMEs. So how do then small and medium scale industries access foreign capital markets? I mean, they are unable to do that. So all these serve as limiting factors. And I think, you know, data or lack of it remains as a chronic challenge. There is a need to build data collection and storage collection systems, storage systems at scale to be able to verify the impact data. So the evidence. So, you know, when it comes to financial data, there are processes, there are data, data there are there are mature data calculation, data collection systems. But in terms of non-financial data, that's not available. So from an investor's perspective, there are no incentives as to why one should go into a sector which is so not proven. So I think, you know, one needs to look at all of these kind of aspects and I think one important aspect to when I talk about the investor's perspective, investors also don't have any incentives, like I said. So, for instance, if you look at India offers, a, offers tax breaks to encourage retail investors to, to invest in infrastructure bonds. 
So I think such incentives or such case studies need to be created to be able to push the sustainable finance agenda and create those incentives. You know, when we issued when when we issued the first green bond, I was involved in 2015. There were incentives to issue that green bond, and that's how the market got kickstarted. So I think that's very important. So we need all of this to come together nicely, I would say. I mean, it's happening, but I think the speed at which it needs to happen is something that needs to be looked at. I was going to ask, how do we then overcome these challenges? But you've almost started on that journey, Namita, because A, that's an amazing list and anybody listening, lean in. There is loads of work to be done and huge business to be had, I, I guess, in these pieces. I wonder instead to ask you whether you have a sense of emerging trends there about what you feel will happen in the next short term and then sort of medium term as these pieces sort of slot into place. Do you have a sense of that? Yeah, I think, you know, the emerging trends as we are seeing is, one is there are banks and financial institutions which are taking these opportunities and putting in their own strategies right to be able to look at these opportunities. So there are banks which are which are looking at developing their own principles. They're working on creating the taking targets. I mean, there's so many financial institutions who've taken targets to move away from certain sectors, to go into, you know, greener or sustainable sectors. Uh, so I think, I think, you know, those are the trends we are seeing. There are governments at the regulatory level. We're seeing taxonomies coming up. We're seeing green finance regulations coming up, guidances coming up. You know, the uh, Basel uh, a committee on banking supervision has come up with principles for banks and supervisors to follow as far as climate risks are concerned. So there, from regulators' standpoint, there are trends from institutional uh, investors, financial institutions. We are seeing trends around around uh, you know building the whole architecture. I think I think you know if you if if we talk if not earlier, but I am quite confident you know when when. I started Optus ESG in 2020. I did not think that ESG or climate risks will so with such speed come to the forefront, which we which we are seeing now, right? I think similarly, the whole finance, the changes to the whole financial architecture is also going to be rehauled, coming about very soon. And we are seeing a lot of trend. There are investors like BlackRock taking commitments. There are uh, you know, boards which are acting against uh, companies uh, which are not looking to be sustainable. I mean, we've seen examples of that. So I think worldwide, overall, there's a lot of movement that's happening. I think leveraging digital technologies for social impact or creating that multi-stakeholder partnership to solve the world's crucial developmental issues is, I think, one of the areas that I'm seeing more and more. So, so, you know, if you look at just transition, that's an area uh, that's somewhere there are green shoots that I'm seeing. And that's going to be a very important area to look at. So if we are talking about decarbonization, then the workers from Brown projects to move, to transition towards green sectors and in a just manner is perhaps the single biggest issue 
that very few are speaking about when we talk about decarbonization. There are green shoots. So when we talk about, I mean, as we've seen, automation of manufacturing processes, robotics, innovations have rendered a huge chunk of conventional workforce being redundant. Workforce redundancy owing to low carbon transition is only going to add to this. In developing countries, this is going to be a big challenge, implying that a huge socioeconomic upheaval. So it's going to become a political challenge. It's going to become an economic challenge. And how do we then align just transition principles to low carbon transition plans? This trend is not overtly evident. So I think we need to see more of that retraining, rehiring, or alternative livelihood opportunities come up for workforces, especially in countries like India, large populations, right? Another trend uh, is about creating what, you know, kind of a system-wide transformative change to push the climate agenda. So, you know, we've seen the European Green Deal, the policies, it has a range of regulations, market initiators that are being rolled out uh, in, the, in the EU. So there is a system-wide effort that is being made in that particular geography. Now we need replication of that in other parts of the of the world. And you know, we have to also recognize the difference between leading emerging economies and leading green emerging economies. So I'm just adding the green part to it because that's perhaps another trend that we're seeing. It's it's not being spoken about, but there are so many markets like you know China, India, Korea, Thailand, Indonesia, Nigeria. Mexico, Brazil, I mean, the, the list goes on where there, is, there, 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 are, there are green policies, there is green momentum that, has, that is picked up. And uh, even relatively smaller markets like Bangladesh, uh, Malaysia, Kenya, South Africa, Kazakhstan, these are amongst others who have proved to be more agile than some of the larger, uh, you know, some of their larger emerging market appears. So I think, you know, these are the trends that would set the context for the next two, three years. And I think one more last trend, lastly, I would say one more trend, uh, which is, uh, you know, also appreciating the opportunities posed uh, by result-based financing is the outcome-based financing. We spoke about this earlier or sustainability-linked financing. I think we're seeing more of these to somewhere finance the gap for sustainability as well as social impact. And we've seen, uh, we've, we've seen some of, I mean, undoubtedly green bonds issuances is dwarfing social bonds or those markets. But what we've seen is that there are governments and there are some national governments uh, which are, uh, you know, stepping in and uh, creating those financial uh, products but we need many more of those result-based financing. Oh, Namita, thank you very much. I mean, thank you for peeling back and showing us, I, I guess, the future. And funnily enough, as I sit here reading the news and watching the television, the news sounds so negative and hearing your optimism is refreshing. So thank you very much. And I wanted to close our conversation today by bringing it back to you, Namita. What is next for you personally? Well, I think there is there are significant opportunities for me personally to learn. I mean, every day for me, 
I'm learning something new every every day. I read about some new principle coming out, some new announcements being made. Uh, so, so that that's really that's really fun. I I really enjoy this time. I would say, and uh, I think for the industry, for financial institutions, I, I think there's a big path ahead to integrate ESG, to integrate climate issues into the business and. You know, I feel so glad I was a part of the journey of the industry when total quality management and total productive maintenance, productivity maintenance became like so mainstream within the manufacturing sector. And today, here I am to see the financial sector really, uh, you know, um, uh, transform itself to look at uh, how their business decision processes, how their risk management processes would include. Uh, issues that are very, very important. You know, at Octus ESG, it's been a very busy time for us. Over the last two years, we've done almost 12 projects. And uh, we believe that the immediate focus area for us is climate-related financial risk management, leverage technology, enable financial institutions adopt a climate risk management aspects in their investment decision-making, especially in the context of, uh, of financial institutions in our target market. So we are looking at you know solutions to, to these ki this kind of work where it's either there are few solutions or they're prohibitive when it comes to costs. I really see it to be fun time. And at the same time, yes, it, it can be very intimidating when we hear all the IPCC numbers and when we hear what's going to what's going to happen. But I, I would be optimistic, as you said. You know, capital is flowing, more needs to flow. Today, the way some industries like renewable energy have become mainstream, e-mobility uh, on the same path, I think uh, there is there is a lot more that, that financial institutions need to do, will do, and there's a strong business case. I think financial institutions will look at, do only look at risk and returns. And here is a small, smart, there's a smart business case that is coming up when it comes to opportunities as well as uh, risks. And for Octus ESG, we are creating solutions that would only facilitate banks and financial institutions towards a climate smart future, if I may say. Well, on that note, Namita Vakis, thank you so much for sharing uh, your insights with us today and taking us on that journey with you. Thank you very much, uh, Katie. I really enjoyed being a part of this conversation. And thanks to Business Fight Poverty for inviting me and uh, happy to engage anytime. Thank you. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. 